police in the morning. This classic horror feature stars Lon Chaney in the title role as the tragic disfigured Eric, who haunts the corridors and cellars in the decaying depths of the Paris Opera House. He befriends and secretly coaches a beautiful aspiring understudy named Christine, who covets the lead role. Through an ever-building campaign of terror, the Phantom drives the lead soprano to flee her role, allowing his protege to take her place. Convinced that she will now return his love in spite of his disfigurement, he persuades her to join him in his subterranean lair, where he plans to confess his true feelings. I'm Corey. And I'm Paul. And we are the, the B-Movie movie Bros. Here review B-Movies to the best of our ability. Sometimes we get off topic, but randomness is a gift. So, here we are, week two of cult classic, you know, classically classic edition. We're taking a look at horror movies from this 50 movie horror classics. You just heard what the description in the booklet has to say about The Phantom of the Opera from 1925. The good version. So, let's dive right into the shit with our technical difficulties, top and bottom three. We're going to start with the top here. For me, number three. This movie just has a fantastic plot. I mean, I know it's based on a novel and everything, but it seems like most movies out of this time period that I've seen or heard of don't really follow the plots too well. And um, this really does. It's a fantastic like rendition of a adaptation. And truly, even though this movie has title cards to give you dialogue, because the plot is so self-explanatory... The acting of it actually sets it up to where you could follow the plot without needing any kind of guidance. Yeah, and the, like, the, um, words and every, like, written words of the cards and everything, I felt like they added a charm to it. It's, like, it didn't, like, obviously it feels old, but it didn't feel out of place. Everything seems to work really well. Number two. The scenery and the sets for this movie were just amazing. It just lended to the dark atmosphere of the movie, and I felt like it was better than the movie from the 2000s. Like, that felt like more of a stage production than a movie, and this movie felt, like, just so engaging. And not to mention, the Phantom had fucking trap doors set, like, all throughout this lair, and it just added to, like, a little bit of the mystery and fun of the movie. Oh, yeah. And then how can we talk about the scenery without the scene on the rooftop where the Phantom is just blending in as one of the gargoyles <laughs> while Christine and uh, Raul are having a conversation unbeknownst to them. He just blends into it. Which brings me to number one. The Phantom himself, Lon Chaney. Uh, like I was saying with the plot, Lon Chaney himself can carry this movie without needing to have any kind of dialogue to push it forward. His acting, his movements, even the facial expressions through the phantom makeup were just amazing and tells the story in and of itself. And the, the phantom's mask, I, I'm always so used to the, the like half-white theatrical mask thing, and to see the mask they used in this movie, I was like, I was like, is that the original mask? It's like this weird half face with like a piece of cloth across his mouth. Oh, yeah, it looks way creepier than any version I've seen. And then, you know... They didn't romanticize it at all. It was great. Then once you take it off, I mean, he looks like a fucking nuclear bomb victim. Like, his face is half melted. He's got these 
crazy teeth and shit. The hills have eyes, kind of. Like, thing. like he looks like a monster. It's not like, you know, and I've I've seen the stage production. I've seen the 2000s film. I've seen the animated version. Of course, the animated version, he looks a little bit vile. But, like, Gerard Butler has, what, like, a scratch on a cheek or something, and he's like, I'm so disfigured! No, this is a fucking disfigured phantom. Disfigured, demented, and completely in love. And he just, he pulls it off without ever giving us the sound of it. So number three, this version of the Phantom of the Opera is just a great story overall and a fairly loyal rendition of the original 1910 story. Unlike later versions, which, well, they have their issues, like, you know, trying to make the uh, Phantom this, like, relatable romantic instead of, you know, this horror icon, which, yeah. Number two. I absolutely, like Corey said, I love the environment of this film, particularly the whole layout of the theater and the underground of the theater. There's this incredibly intricate underground world world of tunnels and secret passages where the Phantom lurks and plots with various schemes. It's just incredible to watch unfold, considering this movie came out 95 years ago. It's absolutely amazing. Like, he's got levers and, like, different things where he opens, like, trap doors. It's, it's so cool. Cool. It it must have been such an amazing experience and to like have watched this back in 1925, like not knowing, like not having seen anything like this. I mean, I'm watching this literally 95 years later, and I still find it amazing. And number one, the Phantom, also known as Eric, played by the late great Lon Chaney, was absolutely amazing. Not only was he was his deformed. It, deformed appearance easily the best I've seen of any version of the Phantom of the Opera, but Lon Chaney's acting was just so top-notch. He was so animated and lively, bringing the character to life in so many cool ways, and it's, this is a, this is a silent film. It's a silent black and white film from 1925, and yet he brings this character to life better than most characters who have the advantage of color and, like, more advanced um, special effects and, you know... Dialogue. Dialogue. It's it's a sign that somebody is a fantastic actor when they can pull such a great performance with such limitation. It it cannot be overstated. There's only one other true version of The Phantom of the Opera that I would like to see, and I actually own a copy of it. I've just never watched it. It's the version with Robert England in it. And I'd like to see how that compares to this, because... That one is meant as a horror movie, um, as opposed to most of the other versions. It can't be worse than the, like, what, the 2004 version of it. Which Gerard Butler has a lovely voice. Yes, but it was, he was a, it was a <laughs> shitty fucking movie. He's like, oh, I love him so much. Oh, oh, you're not so bad. I see the beauty in the end. Fuck you. It's not what the movie's about, damn it. So, on to the bottom three. For me, number three. Seeing all the men run around the theaters in their, you know, dressed-up garb of the period with, you know, swords hanging from their hips. It just, it just reminds me that swords used to be commonplace as an accessory, and it's no longer widely accepted. Like, I would just, I would love to walk around everywhere with a fucking sword on my hip. 
Why? Because swords are cool, man. I like swords. I dream of a world where I can walk around with a sword and a monocle everywhere, not feel out of place, not be judged and persecuted for my choice of style. Number two. Spoiler alert, if you've never seen any version of The Phantom of the Opera... If you've been living under a rock... The Phantom does not succeed in his plan. He, um, he's thwarted. And that's kind of sad, because, you know, aside from wanting Christine to love him, his plan was to blow up the theater and kill everyone for making him an outcast. Which, I mean, he's a diabolical villain, like... Yeah? Poor Eric. And bring, that brings me to number one. Fuck Christine. And not not in the sexual way. Like, Christine in this version is a fucking terrible person. I mean, at least in the later versions and the animated version, she's like, she's like, you know, I'll love you, I'll love you, you teach me how to sing. And then she sees him with the mask and she's like, I'm kind of curious, but I'll still love you. And then, you know, once he loses the mask and, like, starts to go crazy, then she's like, okay, I can't deal with this. But she, she makes an effort. In this one... He's got the mask on. As soon as she sees the mask, she's like, oh, ooh, take me back. No, no. Raul, take me back to Raul. And the Phantom's like, no, nope, no, nope, you're coming with me. And, uh, like, she just, she has no class, no etiquette. Like, I just, I can't stand Christine in this movie. And I, I've, again, of the versions I've seen, I've never disliked Christine, let alone hate her. And I feel like she's the true villain of this movie. She manipulates the Phantom. She manipulates Raul. She just... She's a terrible person! So, number three from my bottom three. So when Eric brings Christine underground with him, and we finally get introduced to the amazing underground world of the Phantom known as Eric, the first thing we see before he, like, goes into his little boat and everything and takes her to his, like, little dwelling with his, uh, organ where he can, like, you know, open traps and stuff like that. And he's got his, like, bug and, um, scorpion that do other stuff. It's, um, first thing we see is a horse. Like, and I couldn't help thinking, how the hell did Eric get a horse underground? Like... And keep it secret. Yeah, and keep it secret. <laughs> like, did no, no one notice, like, a horse coming in through, like, a back alley? Like, was there, like, a hole or something, like, leading to this? Like, it's so weird. And, like, the horse doesn't look emaciated, and it follows Eric's orders pretty well, so it must be pretty well taken care of. Like, what the hell is he feeding it? Horses eat a hell of a lot of hay and whatever the hell other other shit horses eat like what does he do when it shits in the cavern like, yeah like does he get dumped in like the in the water like at, there's so many questions unanswered it's such a minor point of the film like the horse is there one moment and then it's not in the rest of the film but it's easily the most bizarre aspect of the entire film and i i really want answers like you can't just do that to us introduce like oh there's a horse here for some reason, oh, well, well, okay, I'll just accept that. No, I I gotta know more of that. Like, what's up with this horse? What was its name? Why is it, why is it there? So number two. As I said earlier, Lon Chaney as the Phantom was just a match made in heaven. They couldn't have found a better actor to play this role. Which, is unf which unfortunately reminds me of... The 1927 film London After Midnight, directed by Todd Browning and starring Lon Chaney, which was 
has tragically been lost to time, leaving only a series of still shots as proof that of its existence. Based on how, uh, based on the like reconstructed version of this film, consisting entirely of uh, still shots, and based on Lon Chaney's performance in this film, I can only imagine how great that movie would have been. It's just such a shame that none of us will ever get to experience that. I mean, it sucks for a lot of Todd Browning's works because, and how his career was cut short because he made Freaks in 1932. And Freaks is a great film, it, too. It was, but unfortunately, it was, you know, it's so faux pas in that time that it, you know, they sent him out of Hollywood. They were like, nope, no more. You're done. Blacklisted. I mean, such a talent. I can only imagine what a collaboration with him ha having Lon Chaney as a main, as the main character, it, it would have been amazing. Yeah, it's uh, it's truly a shame that we'll never get to see that. And number one, like Corey said, I fucking hate Christine in this movie. First, he ditches her her fiance Raul, who just cares about her and is constantly worried about her, and like despite his goofy looking mustache, seems like a pretty good guy. And she ditches him for the Phantom, because the Phantom promises to help her become prima donna of the opera. And by that, I mean he threatens and attacks the lead, the lead to which she understudies under. And all the while, all while, she's promising, like, you know, if he helps her, you know, she'll love him forever, calling him master and all this other shit. And so later on in the film, he brings her underground into his great underground kingdom forever and ever and she gets freaked out and goes running back to Raul and why was she freaked out was it because he's a creepy murderous psychopath and she had a chains of heart no it's because because when he, he she removes his mask against his will I should add she discovers how ugly he is and decides to ditch him and go back to Raul I cannot, for the life of me, figure out why both Eric and Raul are so infatuated by her. This awful, egotistical, shallow bitch. They they should have ditched her and just marry each other. They both deserve better. I mean, and I know it might be like a generational thing, but I, I don't find Mary Philbin in this movie attractive in really, like, any way. And it might be, you know, because she plays both these men and she's just a total bitch and it just you know, gives this aura of, like, unattractiveness, but, you know, uh, like you said, why, why, for any reason, did these two men fall for her? Yeah, I would not have, like, I don't think she's unattractive, but, like, her just personality, her, like, just actions just make her so unattractive, and, like, the whole time Merrick's like, oh, I love you, you're gonna stay with me forever, I was like, don't worry, milady, I'll, I'll, I'll save you from this evil guy, and then she... Literally just cucked you for, like, a mutated psychopath. It's like, what the hell, guys? Like, like stop simping for this bitch. One of the things we didn't mention with, you know, good intent is the uh, the dialogue of the movie. I mean, we, we did mention the, the title cards with dialogue on them, but uh, it's a silent film. So it's, it's really hard to, to take quotes and give you quotes without destroying part of what makes this film itself. So, uh, I'm yeah. sorry, but I, I just can't bring myself to have a good old-fashioned quote war. Quote war. Your quote war would have to be, like, 
five minutes of silence with like background music. <laughs> so that just, you know, means we have to move along to our final take. Remember, friends, our final take is a score on our shot scale. Our shot scales are of our scale, one to ten. One being the best, ten being the worst. How many shots do you need to get through this film? I gave it a two out of ten. Easily a one out of ten for me. So, The Phantom of the Opera is one of those films which is well-deserved of its legendary status. Don't get me wrong, it does have a few faults. However, the pros far outweigh the cons. A character-driven story filled with amazing set design, beautiful makeup, and amazing acting. Lon Chaney, of course, steals the show as the Phantom. He manages to outperform everyone else and create an atmosphere that felt like it didn't even need the dialogue cards. The movie does move kind of slow at the beginning, but soon picks up once Christine enters the secret passage and meets the Phantom. From there, it's a roller coaster of emotions and dark charm, which just keeps you enthralled for the remainder of the show. The 1925 version of Phantom of the Opera is the first film to adapt the classic 1910 book of the same title, and despite how much time has passed, it's still easily the best. The vast, intricate system of tunnels and passages bring the mesmerizing gothic environment of the original story to life. Tricks and, st and traps await around every corner as the phantom, known as Eric, lurks around in the distance, watching and waiting. Unlike later adaptions, this film stays true to its horror origins, meaning that the phantom is a psycho, psychotic, murderous horror icon, played brilliantly by the late Lon Chaney. Despite being released 95 years ago in silent black and white, the 1925 Phantom of the Opera is a brilliant achievement of cinematic history. It's proof that sometimes perfection can be achieved on the first try. Obviously, we both very much enjoyed this film, but you know, whether you enjoy it, want to have a little more fun with it, or just plain old forget about it, you know we always have ways to drink away this flick, drink away this flick, so come on and grab your drink, let's drink away this flick. Bum, 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 bum. We'll give you some drink games for this movie, but remember friends, drink responsibly. Number one. Every time there's an unintentional jump cut, take a drink. Number two, every time Christine rejects the Phantom, take a drink. Bitch. Number three, whenever the Phantom plays the piano or organ or whatever keyed instrument he has in the crypt, take a drink. Number four, anytime you see the Phantom's real face, take a drink. And number five, of course, because it's cult classic month, anytime you make a connection between two cult classics we've reviewed, take a drink. Every time someone falls over, take a drink. Every time there's a hidden passage, take a drink. Every time there's a letter from the Phantom on screen, take a drink. And every time someone gasps, take a drink. And those are your ways to drink away this flick. If you have any other thoughts on this movie or anything else B-Movie related, you can also comment on iTunes or SoundCloud. You can also email us bmoviebros at gmail.com, like us on Facebook at facebook.com dash bmoviebros, follow us on Twitter at bmoviebros, and on my personal Twitter at bmoviepaul. You can check out all of the content, including reviews, interviews, and chats for our website, bmoviebros.com, where we have new shows each week. If you want to help support the show, consider donating to our PayPal or Patreon accounts. Links provided below. We come to the end of week two here for Cult Classic Month this year. Two movies we've seen so far, I mean, easily, Dementia 13 is in the second place, and Family Opera far outshines it. I, I don't need to say anything else about them. Yeah, it's not even a contest. Dementia 13 2, Phantom of the Opera 1. So as we continue this cult classic month, public domain, super classic classic edition, or whatever it is, we're going to take a look at the 1960 film Little Shop of Horrors. Ooh, so until... Seymour. 
Until next time, friends, be brave, be alive, and be back for more. Yeah, we, uh, <laughs> 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 <laughs>